Over the past few weeks, we've been looking at uh, Hebrews chapter 11. We've been looking at the examples of faith, the, the figures that are listed in Hebrews chapter 11. And we are at the end of it today. Um, and I don't know how it's been for you, but um, I have a kind of a complicated feeling about uh, these heroes that are listed because we know that they are deeply flawed people, right? Uh, it reminded me of... Um, kind of growing up and realizing some of the heroes that we have also have flaws, right? Um, I think of people like, uh, I think these days, uh, superhero mo movies, for example, they like to portray the, the inner crisis of the heroes that um, uh, we grew up idolizing, like Batman or Superman. And the new movies, they tend to focus on, you know, the, the ambiguities that uh, these are heroes, yes, but they are also complicated people. They have, they have views, they, are, um, they have evil in them, so on and so forth. And I think uh, I have the same feelings about these examples of faith that we see in the Bible in, in Hebrews 11, but also like the people that you read about in the Old Testament, right? Like they are so complicated. Um, some of them are, are downright um, malicious. Some of them are just out to cheat. And it's quite tough to realize that they are upheld here in the Bible as heroes of faith. It's hard to respect some of them, let's be honest. Um, when you think about Abraham um, and think about his story, um, people like Hagar in, in his life um, and the way he treated Hagar and Ishmael, right? Uh, it's kind of hard to respect him, <laughs> uh, a, a guy like that, right? To realize that Hagar and Ishmael are real people who had to live with the consequence of the, the selfishness that, uh, that, they, uh, that they acted with. Uh, not to mention his wife, Sarah. Um, so these are very um, uh, people with um, full of ambiguities, full of contradictions. And uh, when we come close and really think about these figures, uh, we realize that they are, um, yeah, they're deeply flawed people. And it makes us think, why are they upheld as examples of, of faith for us? Um, I think there's something more to, to that. And I want to explore that today in the sermon. So we've been looking at these examples and we come to the last few verses of Hebrews chapter 11. And let's just read through them. Uh, we, we will just go through uh, verse by verse and see what they say. So um, Hebrews chapter 11 verse 32. Uh, after having listed all of the uh, persons. Can you just click on It's not working. Can you just click on Okay, thanks. After having listed all these people, uh, he comes to this uh, last few verses and um, the, the author writes like this. And what more shall I say? I do not have time to tell about Gideon, Barak, Samson, and Jephthah, about David and Samuel and the prophets. So clearly there's more, more people that we could explore. And uh, we have run through already 31 verses in Hebrews chapter 11, listing all of these uh, people in the previous verses. And if you look at the, the, the ways these stories are listed, uh, they cover only the first five, six books of the Bible till Joshua. The last story in verse 31 is the story of Rahab, the, the one that we covered last week, the Canaanite women. And that's till Joshua, the book of Joshua. And that's just six books of the Bible, and we already have a full list of heroes or uh, figures of faith. 
Uh, and here he's saying, there's more, we can talk about more. Uh, I don't have time to talk about them, but there's people like Gideon, Barak, Samson, Jephthah, David, Samuel, right? The prophets. Um, and he, the author doesn't really go into details of these figures, but I thought it might be worth just quickly summarizing the stories of uh, four people that's listed here that are kind of uh, low-key. Like we know David, a lot about David, we know about Samuel, but I thought it might be nice to just refresh our memory about Gideon, Barak, and Jephthah, because these are the guys like you quickly scan through in the Bible, you don't really know what they're about. So I thought it might be nice to just uh, go through the story of uh, these three figures. So let's do that, let's think about Gideon. Gideon, you might know from your own knowledge that Gideon was, uh, Gideon's story is found in uh, Judges chapter, I believe it's chapter 6. Um, but um, although we'll not have, we won't have time to read through all of the story, but Gideon is uh, found in the book of Judges. The book of Judges is right, uh, immediately following Joshua. And you may know that Gideon was a timid guy. He was almost a cowardly guy. Uh, he was a farmer. Uh, he was working one day in his threshing floor, um, and angels showed up to him and said, uh, you man of valor, like you great man. And he's like, I'm just a farmer. I'm just doing my job here. Like, why are you calling me a man of valor, right? Um, you man of valor, the, uh, uh, the angel tells him. And the angel tells him that God's going to use him to fight the uh, 32,000 Midianites, the enemies of the people of Israel. Uh, and yet, uh, we, we, we read in the book of Judges that Gideon doubted God. He, he, he was a doubter. Uh, he complained to God saying, if all of your promises are so great, then what's going on? Like, why isn't anything working? Like, where are we, the um, marginalized people here? Why are the Midianites we're fighting against? Why are they so strong? He kept complaining to God and saying, I'm, I belong to the weakest clan of Manasseh. And among the clan, my family is the weakest. And among my family, I'm the least of my brothers. What can I do? So he was a timid guy. But the story goes and says, it says that God took 300 men, soldiers, under Gideon and defeated 32,000 uh, Midianites. Uh, God used the weakness of Gideon, the timidity of Gideon, uh, and used that to defeat the mighty Midianites. Again, I want to hi highlight that this is, yes, he's a hero of faith, but he was a timid person. He had flaws. Uh, his only call to fame, so to say, was that he relied on God. We'll think of Barak. Uh, Barak is overshadowed by a more famous uh, uh, personality, and that is Deborah. Uh, Deborah was a judge. Uh, you read, I think, in Judges chapter 4 and chapter 5. Uh, again, Barak was um, uh, pretty much uh, one of the guys out there. But God picks him up. Deborah sends Barak to fight the Canaanites, another enemy of the Israelites. And with um, the, the, the Canaanites were so powerful at, this, at the time. They had iron chariots, which were the, the, the highest technology of their time. Uh, they had 900 chariots. Uh, they had an oppressive ruler. They were brutal. Uh, but uh, Barak goes with his army and defeats the the technologically advanced uh, Canaanite warriors. 
if you read that, keep reading that story, Judges chapter 4, 5, really interesting story. Um, there's a girl called Jile. Um, she, uh, uh, Jile basically kills the enemy by running a, a peck through the temple of the, of the, of the general. It's a, it's a really dramatic story, and I encourage you to read that. It's a real, uh, uh, really interesting to read through. But the point that we see in the story of Barak as well is that he was reluctant to lead. He was reluctant to lead, and that's why God gave the authority or the, the, the honor of killing the enemy to another person, to a woman. Yes, Barak was a leader, but if you come close and observe the story, he was also reluctant. He was unwilling to be a leader. He was unwilling to obey. And yet again, his whole call to fame is that he trusted in God. We all know the story of Samson, so I don't want to spend too much on, time on that. Samson is probably one of the most flawed characters in the Bible. Um, he was strong. Uh, I don't know like, what to say about him. <laughs> uh, but at the end, um, when he was made blind, uh, he called on God for one more time and he killed uh, is it thousands, um, uh, a multitude of enemies in, in the building when he pushed down the walls. Uh, not much to say there, although there's probably a lot we can. But uh, the, the fourth character that we see here, Jephthah. Jephthah's story, uh, it was really nice to read through again and re be reminded of this, this character. Jephthah's story is, is a really sad story in some ways. Uh, he was the son of a prostitute. And because of that, his family rejected him. Um, uh, he was, uh, he was uh, ostracized from his family and uh, he was... Um, abandoned by his family, like uh, um, uh, excommunicated from his family. And so in, in the periphery, he gathered goons and thugs around him. And he had his own um, kind of army, a militant group. But he was so successful, he was so, so powerful that the, the people of Israel one, uh, ultimately had to come back to him and call him because the, he was uh, successful enough, powerful enough to defeat the enemies. And he was very bitter about, about his experience of ostracization, and understandably so. But such was um, uh, uh, Jep, uh, person, Jephthah as a person. He was rash. He was very brash. He kept saying things, and he just went on a rampage. He just goes on a rampage. And there's one time where his brashness comes through, which was uh, when he was about to go into battle against, um, uh, against the, uh, the, the Ammonites, the enemy. He brashfully promised to God, that whatever living thing comes out of the door, first I will sacrifice, um, I will send a burn offering. Uh, and he goes and fight the enemies and come back home. And the first, first thing to come out of the door is his daughter, his only daughter, right? Um, um, the only daughter, the only person who has the hope of continuing the line, which was a big deal back in the days. But he can't take back his word, his brash promise that he made to God. And so he, uh, he gave up his uh, daughter. A lot, of, uh, this, a lot of misunderstanding that he actually sacrificed, like brutally killed his daughter, but it's more likely that he gave up his daughter for, uh, for the work of God. Uh, in other words, to not get married and have children, which is a big blow for him, especially from the line that he's coming through. So in, in some sense, his story, deeply flawed character. Uh, yes, he was a hero, but uh, he, uh, it is uh, said that there was lament over that story that, that the daughter was taken away from him. 
Uh, so his, his life, the end of his life was a life of lament, a life of um, mourning for the loss that he had, uh, the kind of things that he had gone through. All these four characters and all the characters that we have read through in Hebrews chapter 11, they're human. They, are, they have weakness, right? They, are, um, they, they were fearful. They felt small, right, in front of enemies. They were deeply flawed. They were disappointing even. Uh, and they were disappointed with themselves. And yet, this is what uh, Hebrews says. Uh, Through faith conquered kingdoms, administered justice, and gained what is promised. Who shut the mouths of lions, uh, quenched the fury of the flames, and escaped the edge of the sword, whose weakness was turned to strength, and who became powerful in battle and routed foreign enemies, armies. Women received back their dead, raised to life again. The point here is that, yes, they were weak, they were deeply flawed, but God used those weaknesses for his strength. God used those flaws to do his purpose, to achieve victory, right? So yes, when we look close, up and close with them, they're deeply flawed, they're so problematic, and yet the point here is that uh, God used them in, in their flaws. Um, so it's not their life that's exemplary for us. It's not their life that's exemplary for us. It's their faith that's exemplary for us, I think. And that's uh, important for us to remember, especially as we deal with all these complicated figures, right? So we might frame these figures as heroes, as success stories, right? They were, they were victorious in battle. They defeated enemies. They killed a lot of enemies, so on and so forth. Uh, we could think of the life of faith as in terms of success and victory. But at the same time, we see another portrayal when we keep reading. In verse 35, it says, There are others who are tortured, refusing to be released so that they might gain an even better resurrection. Some faced jeers and flogging, and even chains and imprisonment. They were put to death by stoning. They were sought in two. They were killed by the sword. They went about in sheepskins and goatskins, destitute, persecuted, and mistreated. The world was not worthy of them. They wandered in deserts and mountains, living in caves and in holes in the ground. As though to kind of balance the expectation, because we just looked at heroes. As though to balance, we are reminded that there were people of faith who were not successful. There were people of faith who were persecuted, who died for their faith. There were people who lived in poverty, who were rejected by the society, right? They are persecuted, they are poor. Uh, some of them chose to be poor and um, abandon wealth and prosperity because they wanted to be faithful to God. And of course, this points to the reality of persecution in the world today, right? Uh, we know that there are many parts in the world, even today, where uh, people are persecuted because of their faith. Um, I think even of India, um, the so-called largest democracy in the world, uh, where there's um, so much uh, persecution in pockets in different places. Uh, and of course, we can probably think of other examples as well. So this speaks to the reality of uh, the poverty, the persecution, and the um, marginalization of many people of faith in the world, in history, in the Bible, but also till today. I love what verse 38 says, the world was not worthy of them. You know how when you have somebody important come to your house and you're like, oh, my house is not worthy, let's meet somewhere else. Like the Bible is saying that 
the world was not worthy to 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 have those faithfuls live in it. You know, um, the world was not worthy. This this another place in which they would be more worthy. They would be more fitting. The world does not deserve them. Uh, of course, they were looking for something else as well. So we see that in both these extremes of successes and failures, um, we see that both there are examples of faith in both categories. There are uh, success and there's also failure. There's uh, victories, there's also defeat. Right? As though to, to remind us that it's not about the outcome. Uh, it's, we're not talking about the outcome and achievements. What they did or what they failed to do. That's not the point. Uh, is it victory, success or wealth? That's not the metric of faith. Is it uh, our weaknesses, our sinfulness even, our frailties? That's not the metric of faithfulness, of faith. Is it brokenness? Is it defeat? Is it poverty? Those, that's not the metrics of faith. Those are not what we are. That's not the reason why we, the Bible praises these figures as exemplary. In fact, they are praised. They, are, they were all commended for their faith. Yet none of them received what had been promised, since God had planned something better for us, so that only together with us would they be made perfect. It's striking that the author of Hebrews says, none of them received what was promised. They were not living for that success or victory. They were not living for the, for the poverty and the religiosity. Right? They were living for something else. They were looking for something else, uh, for what was promised. And I think this is why we need to um, point out uh, two I believe mistakes that we, we have when we think about faith. There's a first tendency in when you think of faith to think that success is um, a result, necessarily a result of faith. To be success, I'm successful because God is blessing me, God is loving me. And of course, it's not wrong, it's, uh, that's not wrong at all. But to think that to be faithful and to be successful, to be wealthy, is uh, is the same. That would be there's there's a wrong tendency. Faith is not about becoming successful and become becoming more powerful and more so on and so forth, right? Uh, if we think of that, then these examples of people who are persecuted, these examples of people who are homeless and who are rejected by the world, those examples negate the idea that faith is about success. Uh, success may be Along the way, but success is not the the result or the, the 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 promise of faith. There's another tendency, though, the other extreme tendency, to think that to be faithful means to be simple, to be poor, to be rejected, to be you know to deny everything, to renounce the world, uh, to live a life of extreme piety and religiosity. I think of the desert monks who live in the wilderness. Uh, with, with, uh, the tendency is to think of those people as faithful, uh, to be in the wilderness. But we know from the Bible that there are a lot of examples of faith who lived in palaces, in wealth, right? King, King David, for example, with all his flaws, he lived in palace, he was wealthy, he was living a luxurious life, and he was faithful. Not all the time, but he was always looking to God, after God's own heart, as the Bible says. 
the metrics of faithfulness is not how persecuted I feel uh, or how, you know, like how um, marginalized I am and forcing yourself to be persecuted and marginalized. Uh, this tendency among Christians, uh, what's called the persecution complex, uh, you might have heard. Um, so the point is, success is great, victory is great, renunciation is great, piety is great, religiosity is great, but that's not the point of the life of faith. The goal of the life of faith is, um, uh, is as it says here, to be made perfect. To be made perfect by God. Uh, to be made perfect, they desire to be made perfect by God. That was what they went for. Whether it led them to riches or whether it led them to poverty, whether it gave them victory or whether it gave them defeat, their goal was to be made perfect by God according to the book of Hebrews. Um, to be made perfect, uh, of course, that's so, such, that's a, sounds like such a complicated notion. But the idea is that they wanted to obey God. They wanted to follow God. And they wanted to be in, um, disciples of God. So, uh, if you think of all the examples that we have been thinking over the past few weeks, I think one thing that we might take away is that the life of faith can take so many forms. There's no one model of the life of faith. Uh, there's not one model of faithfulness. It's as diverse, I would say it's as diverse as there are people. Because we all have different ways, we all have different callings in life. Uh, so sometimes when we uh, take somebody's uh, model and compare ourselves, sometimes it's helpful because it inspires us, but we cannot use that as the only metric to think about faithfulness. Uh, there are as many uh, faithful people in the world, there are different lives of faithfulness that we are called to live. Um, including, of course, all the figures that we've gone through. Uh, you, you might recall some of the examples that were given there in, in Hebrews 11. Some of them, as we said, they are military heroes. Some of them are priests. Some of them are prophets. Uh, some of them are gardeners. Right? You can't really have a unified vision of model of what faithfulness means. The only unifying point for all of these is that they desired to be made perfect by God, according to the book of Hebrews. They desired God's will. They desired to obey God. So, it's just like us, these figures, they're full of shortcomings. Um, they're human like us. Uh, and it is to remind us, it's not to give us excuse. Abraham did that, so I can do that as well. It's not to justify our shortcomings, but to remind us that we are imperfect like them. And although we are imperfect, we are being perfected in Christ. Right? We are being perfected in Christ. These examples, although they tend to take on a larger-than-life feel sometimes, they are not larger-than-life. They are down-to-earth. Uh, they are human. We are down-to-earth. We are human. We are fragile. We are weak. We are limited. We are finite in our understanding. Sometimes, most times, we make mistakes. Um, sometimes, we hate it right. But we are capable of great errors in life. Um, if Abraham was able to go through all of that, with all his faith and commit those sins, surely we are also capable. And I don't say that to gloat. I say that to, uh, to have a realistic understanding of our life and to, to be patient, just as God is patient with us in this journey of faith. Right? So just like them, we are imperfect, and yet our faith is in God. 
our, the criteria of faith is that we are constantly trusting in God. We're constantly leaning in to God. We're, we're constantly aware of our weaknesses and we're constant, we are constantly driven with a desire to obey God and to be made perfect uh, in Christ. Perfecting, to be made perfect, that is, the, I think, the criteria of faith, that we are, our desire is to be made perfect uh, in, in God. And again, we could complicate the meaning of that, but just to simplify the meaning uh, of desiring to be made perfect, I think it means to, to desire to obey God desire to be obedient to God in our life in the diverse ways that we all inhabit right the lives that we all inhabit uh, none of us we are all quite similar we live in the same time frame we live in the same city and yet we're also diverse we're also different and yet in that diverse ways that we live we are called to live out the faith life of faith not to copy Gideon or Jephthah or Samson or uh, Barak not to copy Billy Graham or uh, John Knox or whatever you, you whatever heroes you, you might have not to copy even one each other's faith I mean yes we must uh, um, we, we must be encouraged by each other's faith but we have to chart out our path uh, uniquely and separately as God calls us and this is uh, brought very clearly in in the next verse following Hebrews chapter 12 and I would like us to read this together um, uh, in uh, in unison Hebrews chapter 12 verse 1 Therefore, since we are surrounded by such a great cloud of witnesses, let us throw off everything that hinders and the sin that so easily entangles, and let us run with perseverance the race marked out for us. I've never noticed this last part, but this, this time when I read this, the last bit really strikes me. Uh, let us run with perseverance the race marked out for us. Uh, not, let us not run the race of Jephthah. Let us not run the race of uh, uh, XYZ. We run the race that has been marked out for us, uh, the calling that his, God has given for us. And when we do that, this, the, the amazing sentence, that, the phrase that we read, the world was not worthy of them. Uh, imagine that word being used of you. And yet that is, that is what life of faith makes you. Like When we are faithful to God, the world is not worthy of us. Um, again, that doesn't come from our own power our own capacity but because we are seeking to obey god uh, in our life let's pray and we'll continue to respond through songs our father in heaven we thank you that you give us these examples in your word and we thank you lord that these um, examples these stories tell us the brutal fact that they were imperfect uh, they were flawed and yet they looked to you they put their faith in you and because of that you look to them as though they're righteous you commended them as righteous and lord what uh, encouragement that brings to us as we live in this world uh, painfully aware of our limitations our, um, our lack of understanding our lack of faith and yet lord to be reminded that when we put our trust in you and when we look to you and when we have faith in you, you call us righteous and you uh, call us your children because of your son. We thank you, Lord, for that, these stories of faith. And help us, Lord, to be encouraged, to be spurred on, to look to you, to seek to obey you and to, to seek to live 
the life of faith that has been marked out for each one of us. We thank you for hearing our prayers, and we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen.